came to me was because of my dear uncle here who was, gave us a, a great uh, object lesson when you are a man of God that has been blessed to speak the word of God. Even on days that you're not preaching, you're preaching because it is just in you. It is it is a part of your your fabric of your being. You know, whether you are talking at the grocery store with someone, whether it is in the bank, uh, it is just something that you cannot, when, because God has been so good, you cannot sit down and silence yourself when it comes to God's grace. Uh, so that was why that came to me. But uh, the, the actual message that we're going to share today, uh, Lord willing, as I was getting the information about it, I, I almost felt that my oldest sister is much more qualified to preach this. And I'm not going to ask her to preach, but I felt like she was more, <laughs> her eyes got real big, but I, I feel like she's a lot more qualified to preach this, this message because a lot of it deals with the psyche and the mental capacities and some of the things that we tend to overlook. Um, especially as believers, and we could even say even culturally as Black folk, amen, that we tend to overlook our mental well-being and our mental health. But I'm not going to get off so much into that. And you'll see, hopefully, as we begin to get into this word, that how this all connects. But one of two things that, before I get started, my uh, uncle was talking about to my um, my lovely aunt, Aunt Teresa, about how not every sermon needs a um, a title, right? And you look, and, and here's the facts of this, right? Because Jesus' sermons didn't have titles. Paul's sermons didn't have titles. This is a very modern thing, right? We, in the new, new church, we have titles, subtopics, outlines. You know, we're fancy. We're, we're fancy. Look, look at us. We are literally having service spread over thousands of miles, right? I think some of my friends down here in Cayman are also on. Some of my friends, I think back in Ohio as well are on. Um, and it is just, it, it's amazing. But I do have a mess. I do have a title for this one. I said all that to say that. <laughs> the other thing is that I don't, I don't, I won't though, Aunt Teresa, I won't have a Monday morning moment. And here's why. Here's why, because I feel that the Monday morning moment needs to be something that you specifically pull from this message. And again, I love my uncle's Monday morning moments, and, and I definitely love that it, it is a concise way to bring everything together. But I feel like for today, may this be something that whatever speaks to you particular you should have all different Monday morning moments come tomorrow based on this sermon. So the title of today's sermon is Beautifully Broken. Beautifully Broken. Uh, really quick prayer. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the worship and the word. Thank you for your family, this family, your people. Thank you for giving us our gifts to be able to share with the body for the glorification of you and for the edification of the saints. 
Uh, may your words come through me. May I not be in your way of what you want to say, as it is not about me, it's all about you. And may you ultimately get the glory, not talent, not delivery, God, but your spirit. It is your Holy Spirit that I pray is on display today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I, I want you to turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if not, I'll be reading these verses, these scriptures. And we're going to start with the 20th verse. In this particular chapter, and this, this is Paul, uh, Timothy's mentor, who is writing to him and he's encouraging him um, in his faith. But he's also, I find it interesting because Timothy was a, a, a really great student of Paul and then went on to become sort of a missionary partner with Paul. And yet some of the things that we're going to touch on in here, it, it kind of baffles my mind as to why these particular messages are needed for someone who is learned of the word, who is a man of faith, and who is also an educator and teaching other people about the faith in Jesus Christ. And yet Paul told him some things that we're going to look at that it, it really puts into perspective sort of this evolution of this walk in Christ and that it should not be stagnant, but that we have to be moving from glory to glory, as the Bible says, amen, from one point to the next, that we should not sort of coast our way into heaven. We can't have this, as my uncle always says, this casual Christianity where it is just I'm Christian by name alone or by word alone, or I'm still banking off the laurels of of this uh, retreat that was back in the 70s. And, and I'm holding fast to that. But since the 70s or the 80s, what have I really done to advance the kingdom of Christ? What have I really done to, as we said this morning, to do something good for someone else? What have I done to empower other people? And not just looking at what I can get, but what have I given? Because that is why we are here, to give, to serve, to utilize the gifts that we have been blessed with in order to make everyone around us better. Amen. So this second Timothy uh, chapter two, I'm going to try to take my time because I'm excited about this. Word. <laughs> Sometimes you can speed up. But second uh, Timothy chapter two, verse 20, the Bible says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Yes. And some to honor and some to dishonor. And then in verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, this is Paul talking to the very studious, very, you know, studious, show thyself approved Timothy. He shall be a vessel unto honor. This is sort of an admonition. He is, he is essentially instructing and warning Timothy, you know, you need to purge yourself from these. What are these? These are the things that come after this scripture. He talks about fleeing youth, youthful lust, and he talks about walking upright and being righteous. And he's talking about even before 
there's certain things that you don't want to allow yourself to become prey to. And we'll touch on that in a little bit. But he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, in verse 21, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or ready for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And so going back to verse 20, in this house, there are vessels. And these vessels, look at them as, as, as cups. These are cups, right? These are jars. There's jars that are made of gold, silver, wood, and clay. And he says, some to honor and some to dishonor. And when I, I looked at that, I said, well, why are all these in the house, number one? Like, why, <laughs> if it's your house... Why would you have dishonorable vessels in this house? Two, why are you utilizing, why are you using as the master, why are you using dishonorable, and I put that in quotations, why are you using dishonorable vessels? Well, here's when you dig a little bit deeper. It's not our understanding of the word honor and dishonor. So there, the honor here refers to the vessels of gold and of silver. And these were the, the cups or the chalices that were only brought out. It's kind of like fine china, right? I mean, back in the hood, everybody had some fine china, okay? And you didn't use them for every meal. You just brought them out on very rare occasion. I think we had, I think we had china at, at mom and dad's house. I think so. Never used it, but it was there, okay? So you had these vessels of honor. What was that? That that was for these specific and special moments, okay? But now you also have these cups of wood and of clay. These, the quote, dishonorable vessels were used every single day. This this was this was most common in terms of its use, in terms of its purposefulness. All right. So whether they were vessels of gold and silver and shiny and beautiful, or whether they were beautiful in their own their own way, wood and clay, they all serve a purpose in the master's house. And so what came to me when I was thinking of that is that God is able, God is so amazing. He's able to use vessels regardless of their what they look like, what society has deemed them in terms of importance, whether they are vessels of dishonor because they don't necessarily have a certain status. They, they haven't reached a certain financial uh, tier. They don't have a certain level of education. They don't live in, in the cul-de-sac neighborhood. They may have to take public transit in order to get around. And so these in societies, they are not yeah, they're, they're, they're vessels of dishonor, quote unquote. But these are the ones that are being used on a regular basis. 
So they still have a purpose. So, but then, but then you look at that and say, okay, well, maybe because Paul is talking to Timothy in 21 and he says, well, if you purge yourself from these particular things, you shall be a vessel unto honor. It's like, well, wait, so am I supposed to then focus on becoming and moving from dishonor to honor? Is that the goal, right? Is that the goal to, to move from this jar of clay or this jar of, of this wooden cup to the silver and the gold? And the answer is yes and no, because in terms of spirituality, yes, we should be progressing. We should always be striving. That was, he, he was trying to convey to Timothy he said, flee youthful lust. What is that? It's not necessarily lust of the flesh, but it's the desires of those who are immature. And that could be spiritually immature as well. So it's running after the things of this world that don't necessarily add substance or value to our lives. It's running after the things that the world's chasing after. They're chasing after fame and fortune. Right. But he's like, I want you to flee that. You don't have to chase after the same things that they're running after. Instead, I need you to pursue something else. And we're going to get there. Something much more important. At the beginning of chapter two. It, it's it sets the tone for this entire chapter in a very short verse. Paul greets Timothy and he says, thou therefore, my son, and I'm reading from the King James. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we've heard the word grace already said a couple times in today's sermon, not in the sermon, but in the service. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what, what came to me, me, how do you be strong in grace? Because grace is something that is given, right? Grace is a gift. How am I strong in a gift? How am I strong in this assistance that God gives me that I don't deserve? How, do, how am I strong in his, his goodness, not mine? How am I strong in something that comes outside of me? It's, it's, it's existential. It's, 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 you know, it's not from within. It's from outside. And so... To be strong in grace is to be weak in self. Because we're taught to be strong, to be strong, to be courageous, to be fearless, to be, to be powerful. We're taught that, you know, you, 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 this, you know, this is society. Again, so we're, again, going back, fleeing youthful lust. These lusts don't necessarily have to be how we've understood them. But they're actually sometimes a mentality that the world system has has infiltrated even within the church. Prosperity doctrine is one of them, but that's another story. There's certain youthful lusts that have crept in, as the Bible says, unawares. So to be strong in grace is to be weak in self. And what is self? Self is the ego. Self is pride. So if you're weak 
in your ego <laughs> and you're weak in being proud or weak in pride, then you're by default strong in God's grace. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud. That, that is a harsh verb. He resists the proud. That is literally moving in the opposite direction of something. He resists the proud, but gives grace, gives grace to the humble. Amen. And so if anyone knows something about grace, it is Paul. It is Paul because 2 Corinthians, I want you to turn there, 2 Corinthians 12 and 7 through 10. And we know this, we know this, we, we've heard this. And, and Paul says, and lest I should be exalted above measure, right? Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a... Th now, number one, let's pause there. The abundance of revelations, you know, I, I don't even know if all of these made it into the Bible because I he also talks about mysteries, right? He talks about things that not lawful to other. He talks about being caught up into a, a, another heaven. And and so I'm, I'm just amazed that how much God is able to give to us, right? To give to us in terms of his knowledge. And, and obviously our revelations now come through the word, right? So it's it's the written, but then it's also the rhema. It's the spoke, it's the word that is alive for that moment that you need it for. To be able to see something that's on the text in a very new way. And he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he says, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, here's that word, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. To be strong in grace is to be weak in self. So he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities that's lack, that's need in persecutions. None of this none of these are the things that the world is chasing after. You don't ever see, right? Going back to those youthful lusts, right? They're not looking for that. Scroll on Instagram, scroll on TikTok, scroll. You see what the world is chasing after. That's, that's what you see. You don't see people boasting about how tough they have it. They don't, they don't boast about their persecution, they don't boast about their distresses, they don't talk about, you know what, how it is okay to, to not be okay all the time. Because I, I feel like in, in Christianity, we put on this face that we are 100% we're okay. 
all the time and we're not. And so we have people that are suffering in silence that are broken, that are hurting. They want desperately to be a vessel of meat for the master's use, but they don't feel worthy. And or we 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 just go and, and want to convince everyone else, including ourselves, that yes, you know what, I'm strong enough, but it's okay to say I am weak right now. Because if I'm weak enough, then he can be strong enough. Come on now, come on. God, God can't operate in our, pri our pride, our ego. Our, he can't operate when we are saying, I'm going to step up to God's, God's domain. Remember what happened with the Tower of Babel? Do you remember that lesson where people said, we will ascend? We will ascend to heaven? And I said, not today. All these different languages, people looking at each other, somebody talking Swahili, something that wasn't invented yet. They're talking, you know, all these different languages and, and, and the construction stopped. Because he says, man was never designed and should not be operating in my place. It's like the janitor of a corporation saying, I'm going to be CEO today. And that's about the quickest way for a company to go under because I, you, you're not qualified to make those decisions. And so we're doing we would do the same thing like no god i'm going to be ceo of this situation i'm going to take charge i'm going to drive the ship i am going to step up and play god because i know what's best in terms of this particular circumstance and god is saying i need you to come back down before i have to break you down like the tower of babel and help you realize exactly where I need you is relying on me. Where I need you is at my, at my throne face down. I need you to understand that number one, it is okay for you to admit, you know what, I'm not okay right now. And, and this is the most beautiful time because I'm so beautifully broken in this moment. It's that moment where I can receive. What's the scripture? Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What? In our time of need. He said the throne of what? The throne of grace. Come boldly to his throne that we may receive that help that we need it. But if I come to the throne bypassing grace, because I'm saying I'm good enough, I don't need it, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I'm fine enough, right? I don't need this. I'm going to surpass that. Then we never receive the mercy and the help that we truly need in order to help us transform from the vessel of dishonor to the vessel of honor. I'm trying to tie all this together. There is a Japanese art called Kintsugi. And I was talking to my dear friend. I'm not sure if she's on today. My dear friend, Nishita, she is um, 
down here in the Cayman Islands. I don't see her name. No, she's on. She's on. Oh, okay. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So, and we, we, we had, we were having brunch yesterday and we were talking about just, I gave her like a little preview, <laughs> a little, little preview of this message, you know, and, and I'm like, Monk, I'll preach, preach anywhere, preach it to any and everybody. Right. Um, and she said, oh yeah, like the, the thing with the, the cups that they used to, when they're cracked and they reseal them with gold, I said, there you go. And so that came to me and I said, I had to look it up to know what I'm talking about. So it's a Japanese art called Kintsugi, which translates to gold scenes. It's a traditional repair method in which if you have, let's say you have a broken vessel, you have a broken cup, this pottery, whatever it may be, they don't discard it. They don't say it no longer has any value because it's broken. But instead, what they do, they begin to put the pieces back together. And then once the pieces are back together, then they fill the seams with gold. <laughs> so what happens is that each time this thing is broken, when it is put back together, come on, <laughs> with another seam of gold, and another part breaks, and a relationship goes bad, and and you lose a job, and and a kid goes wayward, and something happens in at school, and something happens in the neighborhood, and another piece is seamed back together with this gold. And so before you know it, this what broken vessel has all this gold and the value of this begins to rise. Come on, come on, come on. And so it begins to look less like a vessel of dishonor and it looks more like a vessel of honor because now you know what this becomes, it's becoming a priceless thing that is no longer just something I use daily, but it's also good enough for celebrations. It's good enough for the top tier, for the cream, the creme de la creme, the cream of the crop. It's, it's good enough for any circumstance and any situation. Job said in chapter 23 of Job, 9 to 10, he says, on the left hand, where he doth work, and again, King James saying this for Sister Rosie's benefit. He says, but I cannot behold him. Basically saying, I don't, I don't know his ways. When I turn to the left, he says, he hideth himself on the right hand so that I cannot see him. I don't know when I turn to the right. I don't know God's ways, but he says, but he knoweth the way that I take. He knows my ways. He knows my situations. He knows every crack, every break that I go through internally, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, in terms of my, my heart, in terms of my relationship. He knows financially. He knows every break, every hardship, 
that I've gone through. And he says, when he has tried me, when he has tested me, when he has put me through it, when he's allowed me to crumble, when he's allowed me to, to almost fall, he said, my foot almost slipped. You drink this. Good <laughs> mm. word, good word, good word. Yes, almost. I didn't slip, I almost slipped. It's one of those when you're walking outside and you do a little, whoop, and you catch yourself. Now, it's, you just think of that. Whatever situation you're in, when you you almost slip, God's right there to hook, catch you on your back. Now, if I was there in person, I would have brought somebody up and I had them act like they slipped and I would put my hand behind them and I caught, I would catch them every time they're about to fall back. But I don't have, I'm not there. I don't have somebody to work with. So, <clears throat> so anyway, he says, when he has tried me, Job, I shall come forth as what? As gold. Yes, yes. So everything that I go through, every situation, every heartache, every pain, when God allows me to go through it, he is just like that Kintsugi master. And he is just, okay, I'm going to put this together, but I'm going to put you together even stronger now. I'm going to put this together better now. I'm going, you know, I took all that from you. I allowed Job you to go through that. You know what? I'm going to give you even better blessings. I'm going to, yeah, I see that crack. Yeah, you know what? It's fine because I'm going to lace it with gold. I'm going to fill it. And here's, here's part of taking it a step further because you don't have to stay broken. You can be whole. God puts us back together each and every time. So no, every crack, every pain, God is there as that Kintsugi master. And you know what? I, I venture to say that he's even better than the Japanese Kintsugi masters. And here's why. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says he doesn't just put the pieces back together. He transmutates. And I use that word deliberately because when you talk about in biology, transmutation means the transformation from one species to another species. It's not even within the same biological strata. It's not even the same species anymore. And I love that 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, what does it say? Creature. This is this is King James. The other ones say creation, but he is a new creature. He transmutates from what you used to be. Your very DNA is transmutated into spiritual, holy, sanctified DNA. And that's why I don't I don't respond the same way I used to respond to life's hardships. I don't respond the same way when someone gets in my face, my face, because I have this new, <coughs> this new spiritual makeup. Amen? Amen. Amen. He says he's a new 
creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So God does more than just that. You know, because he's our God. He's He does everything. He's marvelous as are his works. He, he doesn't do just exceeding. <laughs> and he doesn't just do abundant. And he, and he just doesn't do above all. I mean, any one of those in and of themselves, you're A-OK -okay with me. Right. If you gave me exceedingly something, I'm, I'm there. If you gave me abundance of something, I'm, I'm all in. If you give me above all of something, again, bring it on. But see, our God said, I can't even stop. I can't even be limited to these beautiful descriptions of my power. I cannot stop at exceeding. I cannot stop at abundant. I cannot stop at above all because I am all that. Come on now. Come on. Come on exceedingly abundantly above all that's our god so he says i'm not just going to take the broken pieces and put it back with 24 karat gold said no sir what i'm going to do each every broken crack i'm going to put you back together and then from the inside out i am going to change your nature i am changing come on I'm changing the nature of that clay. Only God could do this because alchemy, they can't do it. <clears throat> science, they can't do it. Even science fiction, I haven't seen it done. So only God can change clay into gold. It doesn't even make sense. But God said, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or even think according to the power that works in you. That Holy Spirit power is able to transform clay into gold, to transform that vessel of dishonor into a vessel of honor that I can use that as meat for the master's use. God bless you. Amen. 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 Amen.